Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of ASHP's podcast on medication safety. The podcast where we discuss current trends in medication safety, regulatory issues, and best practices that improve patient care. This podcast is part of a series from the Medication Safety Section Advisory Group, reviewing all of ISMP's targeted medication safety best practices for hospitals. My name is Joel Daniel, System Medication Safety Pharmacist at Cox Health in Southwest Missouri, and today we'll be chatting with the Medication Safety Director for the VA in San Diego, Jennifer Howard, regarding best practice number seven, segregate, sequester, and differentiate all neuromuscular blocking agents from other medications wherever they're stored in the organization. And more importantly, different approaches for implementation of this best practice. Thanks for joining us today. Before we actually get into some specifics, Jennifer, would you mind painting a picture of why errors involving neuromuscular blockers have made it to ISMP's top recommendations. Some of us are very familiar with some recent incidents with RNs or others accidentally giving neuromuscular blockers. In one case, vecuronium being given instead of Versed. Could you explain that incident for those who may not remember? Or do you have a story of a near miss in your experience? Sure, Joel. I'll go ahead and explain the incident with Becuronium and Versed. Accidental administration of neuromuscular blockers can be deadly. In this case, a nurse went to an automated dispensing cabinet and she needed a vial of midazolam or Versed, and she typed in the first couple of letters, VE, and then she selected the, uh, the item that appeared first on the list, which was Becuronium. And then after several system failures, the vecuronium was administered to the patient instead of the Versed that was needed, and it resulted in the patient's death. Thank you. Uh, this is such a heartbreaking story and so many different um, system failures that went into this, but that's not really the point of this podcast. Really talking about the recommendation from ISMP, this recommendation is broken into five different sub-recommendations that all support each other and support the overarching goal. The first one being to eliminate the storage of neuromuscular blockers in areas where they're not routinely needed. Can you give some examples of how this has been accomplished at the VA and how you guard against them kind of backsliding or being restocked into those locations? Yeah, so we started by reviewing all of the areas in our hospital where neuromuscular blockers were stored. And the recommendation is to limit to perioperative, labor and delivery, which we don't have, critical care and emergency department settings. And here in San Diego, we only stock them in our main pharmacy our OR pharmacy satellite, and then in the OR, ICU, and emergency department, or ED, automated dispensing cabinets. And as for how we accomplished this, 
We went and removed the ability for staff, for pharmacists or technicians to be able to load those neuromuscular blockers into our OmniCells, which are our automated dispensing cabinets in areas where that are not authorized to have it. So only our automation pharmacist and our automation technician have the ability to add these items to an OmniCell. That is such a great point to limit availability or create gatekeepers to some key processes. A very useful and very low-tech mechanism if we take care to do it in the right way and not hinder patient care. The next two sub-recommendations speak to how these agents are stored on the floor. So building upon the first point and assuming that we only have these agents where they're needed, what are those recommendations and what have you done? So the first recommendation is in patient care areas where they are needed, like the ICU, place these neuromuscular blockers in a sealed box or preferably in a rapid sequence intubation kit or RSI kit. And then the next recommendation is to limit availability in the automated dispensing cabinets to perioperative labor and delivery, critical care, and emergency department settings. And in these areas, again, store them in an RSI kit or in lock-lidded ADC pockets and drawers. And here at RVA in San Diego, the neuromuscular blockers that are kept in the ED and the ICU automated dispensing cabinets are kept in rapid sequence intubation kits that are packaged by the pharmacy. So there's no opportunity for a nurse to be able to remove an individual vial of a neuromuscular blocker from the automated dispensing cabinet. That sounds like a hardwired process, which is so important. Love the fact that ISMP took into account different practice settings, realizing that physical kits, while it sounds like they are very reasonable in your practice setting, it's not really that feasible for other locations. And so they gave another option as well. However, if you do go with that other option, it does require a little more effort to ensure that we don't have medications that are being loaded into pockets that are not locked and lidded. In many instances, there's typically more than one root cause, as we well know, to any error. Typically, one error was set up by the step before it, which had something that set it up um, in the step before that. So as we trace it on back, we see that many items had something wrong or something that set up an error within the pharmacy itself, such as the case with neuromuscular blockers. So how should we be storing neuromuscular blockers within the pharmacy itself? So what we did in in our pharmacy areas, um, we segregate the neuromuscular blockers from other medications and we store them in orange lidded bins with warning labels. And for the neuromuscular blockers that require refrigeration, they have their own fridge and they're stored also in orange lidded bins with warning labels. And the warning labels that we have state warning paralyzing agent causes respiratory arrest. Within the best practices, it mentions two critical and related concepts that many may not understand the nuances of, segregation and sequestration. Could you explain the differences between these two terms? Sure. So 
Segregation is a setting apart or separation of things from others or from the main body or group. And sequestration is removal or separation, banishment or exile. Uh, The ISMP recommendation reads, segregate neuromuscular blockers from all other medications in the pharmacy by placing them in separate lidded containers in the refrigerator or other secure isolated storage area. And it would be ideal if you could sequester all neuromuscular blockers, but that you know may not be possible for everyone. Thank you. One part of the recommendation discusses differentiation, particularly with the OX labels. Would you speak a little on this? Sure. So that recommendation says place auxiliary labels on all storage bins and or ADC pockets and drawers that contain neuromuscular blockers as well as final medication containers of neuromuscular blockers like syringes and IV bags. And they want the warning label to state something like, warning, causes respiratory arrest, patient must be ventilated. Or another one is warning, paralyzing agent, causes respiratory arrest. And one more, warning, causes respiratory paralysis, patient must be ventilated. They want to clearly communicate that respiratory paralysis will occur and ventilation is required. There is an exception in there that says that the auxiliary label practice excludes anesthesia-prepared syringes of neuromuscular blockers, and other acceptable alternatives are to place an aux warning label directly on the neuromuscular blocker vials and or other containers stocked in storage locations. And stickers do stand out if their use is limited. Um, If they're used all over the place, I understand that they don't stand out, but if we we do use them and they're limited, they do stand out. And another alternative to this is displaying a warning on the automated dispensing cabinet screen, Um, something that reads like, patient must be intubated to receive this medication, Um, and it needs to interrupt all attempts to remove a neuromuscular blocker via patient's profile or on override. The warning should require the user to enter or select the purpose for the medication removal and others should not be one of those choices and verify that the patient is or will be manually or mechanically ventilated. Thank you. And that's such a great point that you brought out, especially with the stickers. If we have stickers everywhere, Uh, then it doesn't really stand out as much. The old adage, once everybody's special, no one is. And so making sure that we use this very judiciously. So one thing that we try to do as medication safety professionals is keep things as hardwired as possible so that we aren't constantly going back and redoing things that have backslidden. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned in keeping items like this practice hardwired? Yeah, I have learned that I need to continuously walk around the hospital and review storage requirements with staff. New staff also need education so that they understand the importance of storage and labeling of neuromuscular blockers and the possible consequences of incorrect storage and inadequate labeling. So I need to have my eyes on it. Yes, having your eyes on the process is so important. I appreciate you bringing this to our attention. Thank you. So that is all the time that we have for today. 
I want to thank Jennifer Howard for joining us today to discuss safety surrounding neuromuscular blockers and the ISMP recommendation. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's medication safety resources. You will find member exclusive offerings such as the Patient Safety Resource Center, Patient Education Resources through safemedications.com, and exchange ideas and ask questions with your peers on the ASHB Medication Safety Connect community. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of ASHP's podcast on medication safety. And be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.